But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to Jesus, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here in this place this morning, and we trust that you are here among us. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I've had one pressing question on my mind this week, and um, when you hear it, you won't be surprised, even though it will seem like it's out of the blue. My question is, how can you tell when an actor becomes a true movie star? What's the difference between somebody who just acts in film and a movie star? Is it when people will go to see a movie because the star is in it, even though the movie looks bad? Have you ever done this? You're like, oh, I like that guy. He's a star. I'll see his movie even though I'm a little bit nervous. Maybe it's when the name is recognizable to people who haven't even seen the person in a movie. This is a true star. Now, there are a lot of ways one might suggest to determine whether or not someone is just a film actor or a true movie star. I have my own method, and my method tells me that Kurt Russell is our only true movie star. (laughs) Have you ever heard or seen a film called Soldier? Not Universal Soldier starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, but Soldier starring Kurt Russell. Literally no one. See, you would think that this would be a problem for my theory, that it would damage my case that Kurt Russell is our only true movie star, but you'd be wrong. Here's the thing. Soldier, 1993, is the quintessential 90s action movie. I mean, just listen to the tagline for it. Left for dead on a remote planet, for obsolete machines and people, a fallen hero has one last battle to fight. I mean, let's all go down to the rectory right now and watch this movie. Doesn't that stir something in you? And yes, before you ask, of course I own the movie Soldier, starring our only true movie star, Kurt Russell. Soldier was written by the same guy who wrote Blade Runner, and stars Russell as an engineered space soldier called Todd 3465. Here's the key, though. Here's how you know that Russell is our only true movie star. He's on screen for 85 of the 99 minutes of the runtime of the film, and he speaks 104 words total. 104 words. For for reference, I've spoken 391 words so far in this sermon. 397 now. It's an incredibly charismatic performance by Kurt Russell to be able to command the screen and front a film on only 104 words. I submit to you that no one else could do it. Kurt Russell, our one true movie star. Now, lest you think that this is unrelated to what I have to say to you in the sermon this morning, it's not. Interestingly, for our purposes this morning, the Spanish language title for soldier is Soldado Implacable, or Implacable Soldier. 
And that's exactly what Russell is in the film. He's an implacable killing machine. Literally, genetically engineered. He feels no remorse. He's a rampaging robot. And as you might imagine, Kurt Russell's performance as Todd 3465 in Implacable Soldier is the first thing I thought of when I read this parable of Jesus about the landowner, his vineyard, his son, and his murderous tenants. See, this week we have our third consecutive vineyard story, but this is the first one that made me think of a 90s action movie. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had the story of the 11th hour workers and how it was God's good pleasure to be generous to those who have not earned his grace. In fact, that's what grace is, God's generosity to the undeserving, you and me. And last week, we heard a story about two sons, one of whom told his father he would go work in the vineyard but then didn't, and the other son who said he wouldn't and then did. And that story was about God replacing our disobedient hearts with new ones, Hearts that actually love God in light of his mercy in our lives. Today, however, our vineyard story has a more violent tinge to it. We have this landowner who builds a vineyard and goes on vacation, lending that, leasing that vineyard to tenants. The deal is that the tenants will work the vineyard, work the land for some percentage of the yield, probably also for room and board, and then periodically the landowner will send representatives to collect his portion of the harvest. Of course, the deal doesn't work out very well. In Jesus' version of the story, the tenants treat the landowner's representatives very poorly, beating them, stoning them, killing them. He tries again with the same result. And finally, thinking that surely these tenants will respect his own flesh and blood, the landowner sends his own son to the vineyard, thinking that this is their chance to usurp the rightful inheritance of the vineyard the tenants kill the son too. And now Jesus presses pause on the story. You notice he doesn't tell the gathered people how the story ends. Instead, he asks them how they think it should end turns out to be a critical question, and their response is incredibly telling. Jesus asks them, what will the owner do? And they answer like we all would. Have you seen the Kurt Russell film, Soldier? They assume that the owner of the vineyard is going to send in an implacable, remorseless killing machine. He will put those wretches to a miserable death they say, and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Todd 3465 is going to go all 90s action movie on those tenants. And this sounds so good to us, doesn't it? It sounds so right. I mean, the tenant's behavior here is so appalling, so beyond the pale, that Even our bloodlust is raised a little bit 
I mean, they shouldn't get anything less than they deserve, should they? But of course, that's the problem with us. We are addicted to the word deserve. So while the gathered crowd is out for blood, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? And he quotes them a psalm. Psalm 118, verse 22 The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The crowd, listening to Jesus speak, has missed the point of Jesus' story completely because they are attuned to the law, to the rules, to what's fair, not to the gospel. They want people to get what they deserve. They're ready for retribution, not grace. They're rooting for judgment, not love. These are the same people who would have been offended that the 11th hour workers got the same wage for working only one hour as those laborers who slaved all day under the hot sun. These are the people like you And like me, who are prone to say, it's just not fair. These people want justice. They want an eye for an eye. Like the law says. The law says you hurt me, I get to hurt you. The law says they kill your son, you kill all of them. Jesus, though, is a different way. But he's not ready to tell them about his different way yet. He first wants to show the people the kind of world they think they want to live in. So he talks about what living your life under the law really looks like. Therefore I tell you, he says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. In our reading from Philippians, Paul talks about living up to the law, trying to avoid the crushing weight of this stone that Jesus refers to. He talks about being a person who, in Jesus' words, produces the fruit of the kingdom. In other words, Paul, in Philippians, is talking about what it might take to be a good tenant in God's vineyard. He says that if anyone could have been that producer of good fruit, it was him. If anyone could have survived the crushing stone of the law, he could have. He was the best He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is saying, my resume qualifies me the most to be a good tenant. If anyone could have been a worthy tenant in God's vineyard, it was Paul. But Paul knows better. If he'd been in the crowd, listening to Jesus' 
parable, he would have known, like the scribes and Pharisees knew, that Jesus was telling the parable about him. Yet whatever gains I had, he says, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. He counts all of his supposed qualifications as loss. He knows that his whole resume is garbage. He says it literally, garbage. He sees the truth that he is a murderous tenant. The stone of the law has broken him. Now this is God's first word to us. And it hurts. We, you and I, are the murderous tenants who would love to get our hands on the son's inheritance. Now this word, like the stone in Jesus' parable, breaks us. And it has to. For us to be saved, we must first be broken. We have to come face to face with the awful truth that we cannot save ourselves. Luckily or unluckily, for most of us, we are coming to that realization, coming face to face with that awful truth all the time. It's already happening. Every time we look at our bank statement, every time we punch the clock at work, every time we argue with our significant other, wonder about the future, go home for the holidays, every time we look in the mirror, the bad news hits us. We're the tenants who didn't take care of the vineyard. And yes, we are even the tenants who killed God's son. As Stuart, Stuart Townend writes in his gorgeous song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, he says, Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there. Now, Jesus' parable puts those awful words into our mouths. This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. Sound familiar? We echo it every Good Friday. Crucify him. Crucify him. Now this bad news that we are the wicked tenants makes us rightfully worried about what will happen next. Like Jesus says, what will the landowner do when he comes back to the vineyard? When the owner of the vineyard comes back, we expect trouble. It's like the angels sang in 1963 to the guy who'd slandered a girl while her boyfriend was out of town. My boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble. Hey la, hey la, my boyfriend's back. Nobody sings along with me when I do that. What's going to happen when God comes back to the vineyard and sees what we've done? Well, if the law was the final word, it would look a lot like soldier. Very few words, lots of dead bodies. 
The law says, send in Kurt Russell. But incredibly, in the gospel, it is the slain son that accomplishes the salvation of the tenants. The law says they kill your son, you kill all of them. The gospel says the slain son saves the very people who killed him. The law isn't the final word. On account of Christ, it never is. Good Friday wasn't the end of the story. Jesus didn't stay dead. How deep the Father's love for us isn't over either. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Remember what happens to the stone that the builders rejected. It didn't get thrown onto the trash heap somewhere. It became the cornerstone. It became the foundation of everything else. Listen to that whole sentence from Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. It is amazing in our eyes. Amazing is a broken human being called a beloved child of God. Amazing is a great stone rolled away and a tomb sitting empty. Amazing is Jesus' repeated claim that he did not come for righteous people, but for sinners. Amazing is you and me, rebellious tenants in God's vineyard, forgiven, redeemed, and reborn by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because Jesus didn't stay dead, because he was raised to new life and has given that new life to each one of us, God's coming back to the vineyard is no longer a cause for fear, but for rejoicing. The stone broke us because we were sinners, but it didn't stop there. It raised us to new life with Christ. Perfect love, we read, casts out fear. And on account of Jesus, we are loved perfectly. And so we can say with Paul that everything else fades away when compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior. God's coming back to the vineyard no longer inspires fear, but rejoicing. So let us rejoice. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the foundation of everything. This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Amen.